Turn our attention to Luke's Gospel from the 22nd chapter. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, No more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. You feel the pressure building in your chest. Your heart races. You can feel the flush of embarrassment rushing over your face as it reddens. And your blood pressure and your body temperature rise. As your respirations increase, so does your perspiration. You've been wronged. And you want to do something about it. It just isn't fair. It just isn't true. What do you do in that moment? On Thursday of Holy Week, Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room. And among the many things that happened there, he told them about how he would be treated like a criminal and executed like a criminal. How one of them would actually be playing a role in betraying him to his enemies. One by one they'd ask, and even Judas joined the chorus, is it I? He also warned them that from that night on, their lives and their efforts in ministry for him would become much more difficult. He had sent them out two by two. He had also had them work in the crowds that gathered around his own teaching sessions and miracle working. And they had always been received with honor and dignity and welcome. But those days were numbered. From now on, they would face hostility. And whether they realized it or not in that upper room, that night they were going to get the very first taste of it. When the Passover meal was over, Jesus led his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And one of their own, you heard what happened in our reading earlier, a detachment of soldiers guided by Judas himself, led by Judas, including Jewish leaders, a mob. He came out to arrest Jesus. And the disciples were clearly ready for action. They asked the question, Lord, do you want us to use our swords? And, and one of them, we know later by other gospel writers, Peter, had no interest in waiting. He didn't wait for Jesus' answer. He simply struck with his sword and cut off the ear of a high priest's servant. Jesus had done nothing wrong. And as he declared to the mob, he certainly had not been engaging in any kind of violent insurrection. They had had opportunities ample throughout the three years of his very public ministry, often teaching in the very temple itself. 
to arrest him if that was what they wanted. He hadn't done anything that would call for a detachment of armed soldiers to come out after him. But Jesus knew that they had arrived there under the cover of darkness because they knew they didn't have any reason to arrest him. They had no legitimate case against him. This was a mob of injustice. We know bribery was involved and collusion at its worst. This was, in every way you could describe it, completely unfair. And what did Jesus do about it? A man who can heal a severed ear has many options in his arsenal to respond to this moment. In fact, Jesus would clearly tell them, if he wanted to, he could call down legions of angels in that moment to defend him. And then, as we read the Gospel accounts of this interaction, we discover that Jesus also went out to meet them and asked them, who is it that you're looking for? And every time that he answered, when they said Jesus of Nazareth with an I am he, they fell down flat on their faces or on their backs. Clearly, he had the ability in this moment to just vaporize them straight to hell if he chose to. But Jesus didn't. Instead, he healed a man who had come to detain him. In other words, Jesus exercised restraint, perfect, holy restraint. But do we realize that he did that for us? Restraint is the ability to hold back. It's an aspect of self-control, and it's not easy. It is extremely difficult, actually, especially in circumstances when you feel wronged. How do you respond to unwarranted criticism? What's your first reaction when somebody accuses you of doing something very wrong and you know that you are completely innocent? What do you do when people aren't even bothering to listen to you? When you know things are not going your way? Restraint isn't typically our reaction, is it? And why is it so difficult? Because we tend to think of ourselves first. How did this Hurt me? How did I come to deserve this? Why am I the target in this moment? Why didn't they think of my needs and how this would make me feel? It's about our pride. It's about our dignity. It's about our sense of equity and justice. We feel like we're on trial in moments like that. We feel very defensive. We certainly feel as if we need to defend ourselves, so the pressure builds. The pressure builds along with our heart rate and our blood pressure. All we can think about is what we can do to get rid of that feeling, wanting whatever we think will make us feel better. And we don't swing swords. We might think about it in our minds, but we don't swing swords. Instead, we sling words. 
We fire off angry texts. We, we email. We put a bitter screed in the comment box at the door. We, we give them a glare. Somehow, some way, we make sure we fight back. And doing that, we sin. And Jesus says, no more of this. And then he heals. Look at Jesus. He was not thinking of himself. He was not thinking about the fact that he had done absolutely nothing to deserve anything that was happening to him in that moment. Or what about what would make him feel any better? No. He looks at a man who's bleeding from the head where his ear used to be, and he sees not an enemy to be defeated, but a human with a soul, with sins needing to be forgiven, a man with a name. Melchus is what John would reveal in his gospel. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had said, Love your enemies. Jesus taught it. Now in this moment, he showed what that looks like. Jesus wasn't thinking of himself at all. Do you realize that Jesus was actually thinking of you? The path to your salvation began with his surrender in this moment in the garden to an unholy mob that had no right to be there doing what they were doing. Restraint is a theme throughout Jesus' passion. He stood in the garden as the perfect Lamb of God, the servant who never opened his mouth to hurt or ever raised his hand to harm. And with all of that power at his disposal, he gave himself over willingly. He displayed restraint throughout that day, that night, into the next day, as he stood on trial, first before Caiaphas, and then before Annas, and then before Pilate, and then before Herod. While in between they slapped him and cursed him, spit on him, crowned him with thorns, scourged him. All that taunting, all that pain, Jesus never once lashed out. He never lost his temper. He never called on those legions of angels to stop what was going on. And he certainly never called down curses from heaven on anyone who was doing anything. In fact, as he's nailed to the cross, he cries out in prayer on behalf of them to his Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Otherwise, they wouldn't possibly be doing what they're doing if they knew. We need Jesus as our Savior. We need him as our quiet and purposeful obedience maker. As he watched his father do his work on that day, he willingly obeyed his father's will time after time. We need that kind of perfection. We need his holiness. We need his righteousness to be able to stand before that same father. And that's exactly why Jesus came. Not to create a pool of righteousness for himself. His resurrection from the grave proves that he was innocent, holy, 
right before his father. Just as his father had said he was pleased with him. That never changed. What he came to do was create the same scenario for you and me. An infinite ocean of righteousness that could be applied to us that we might stand in our Father's presence, prove to be there, welcome in his sight forever. We need his example, too. We live in a world where the quick comeback the zinger of a response, the the demeaning answer are all rewarded both in our daily lives and on Twitter, talk shows and news channels. Work hard to create conflict. Inflammatory reports to gain viewers and secure a loyal audience. And if you've done any research at all, you know that the social media algorithms are particularly tuned to create a sense of indignation with those it is targeted so that they will engage in social interaction that is anything but pleasant or God-pleasing. You do realize that living in a world like that, even if you don't spend much time with social media, the world we live in is impacted by all of that attitude and all of that process in ways that will certainly rub off on each one of us whether we like it or not. We begin to think that if we don't respond with the same level of venom that's coming our direction, that perhaps no one will actually ever listen to us. Thinking of the other person in a moment like that, that proves far less important than making sure that we are the ones that are heard, that our rights are defended. But what if we did something different? I was told the story of a a funeral that occurred in a place none of us would likely want to live, a neighborhood in an inner city that had a lot of violence. A young man of only 20 years old was, was caught in the crossfire. He was innocent of anything going on in the moment. Multiple gunshot wounds that placed him in a coma for months before he finally died. His funeral was at a confessional Lutheran church, and there were a lot of awkward silences as the crowd began to realize that the victim's mother had not yet made an appearance at all throughout the visitation and the preparation for the funeral. It was almost time for the funeral directors to close the casket. So one of the surviving siblings went out to find mom, and everyone knew when they did because she came through the door against her will, screaming at the top of her lungs. She had a lot to say about what was going on in that neighborhood, and she was particularly angry with the rest of her immediate family because she believed that her son could have survived and that they hadn't given him enough time to recover that the decision was made too soon to pull the plug, and she was blaming all of them and blaming anyone who would listen. She was furious and she was flailing, and they, they walked her against her will up to the casket to pay her last respects, and as the funeral director asked permission and began to close the casket, she started to flail at him, hitting him. So they finally had to restrain her, take her out, 
out back, out by the hearse on the street. And everybody could hear what was going on. Many had turned to watch what would happen. She could not be consoled. And someone she had never met before walked out of the crowd and embraced her and said quietly to her, I worked with your son. I knew him well. He didn't deserve this. Nobody deserves this. You didn't deserve this. And he quieted her with his faith and his acknowledgement of her son's faith and the reality of the situation that her son was in heaven and that it was time to hear what God had to say about these things. And slowly but surely it calmed her. And you and I need to ask ourselves if we can imagine situations where love and Christian restraint could make a difference in the encounters we have in life. Imagine the impact that you and I can have on this overcharged world where restraint is clearly a lost art. You know Jesus. You know the one who showed love and restraint in every situation, all the way to his sacrificial death on the cross for sinners like us. And you also know that this same Jesus who could control his own emotions in any given moment is the one who is in control of the universe in which we live, in control of every element of our lives for our good, working everything for the good of his people. And so this means you and I can be different. You, we, all of us can use our words to heal and help. In every situation, instead of inflaming and destroying, we can think of the hurt that others may be feeling in any given moment, even if it is a hurt they themselves have caused, and we can respond graciously, with compassion, not impulsively, even when we're provoked by the very people who are around us needing that response of mercy. And yes, behavior like that will be interpreted by many as weakness. But in fact, it takes tremendous strength, strength that you and I do not have on our own, strength that can only come from our, our Savior, who walked this path of restraint before us. Think about that garden again for a moment. Think about the amazing miracle, that miraculous healing. But his strength was seen in his restraint. The world would say Jesus had every right to fight back in that moment. There was no question that he was wronged, that this was perverted injustice. But he set aside justice for himself out of love for you and me. What do you think Malchus thought of Jesus from that day on throughout his life? How do you suppose Malchus reacted in situations that 
tested his restraint. Did he ever think of Jesus? So when you are wronged, remember that you respond from a position of strength. God has declared you righteous and forgiven. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. God's plan will prevail. And so you don't have to feel like you have to take control because you've never really been in control and God's always been in control and that's not really the issue at the center of what's going on. His Holy Spirit will fill you and you will realize that you are not standing there alone, that you have access to the strength, the righteousness, the love, the compassion that has been shown you in your Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit will guide you in showing all of those things so that you can be a light in the world where darkness always seems to reign. Instead of fighting back, you can swing the sword of the Spirit, the gospel of hope and forgiveness, the the peace that God alone can give that passes our understanding. And maybe, through what others will consider your strange behavior, the message that Jesus is intended for every human soul will have an opportunity to be shared. And in that moment of restraint, the love you show will be seen and known as Jesus' love reflecting through you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as a member of Christ's body, that one body, you and I, we've been called to peace. Amen.